Today's scripture comes from Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people put a lamp, a light, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You may be seated. Well, this morning, it is my joy to welcome uh, Brett Landry uh, here with us. Brett's been here before um, this summer, right? A while ago. He always complains he doesn't get invited enough. Uh, and so he got the invite, and I can't complain anymore. No, Brett is a good friend of Christ City uh, Church East Vancouver. In fact, uh, whether you know it or not, he's a good friend of yours. Um, Christ City East Vancouver wouldn't be here this morning without the support and love and encouragement of Brett, uh, his wife Allison, the elders at Christ City South Vancouver, and, and personally all the mentoring and guidance that Brett has given me over the years. And so I, I'm so excited to invite Brett here this morning to talk about the vision of Christ City Church. Uh, I'm excited for what the Lord has in store for us, not just as a local church here in Hastings Sunrise, but also as a network of neighborhood churches beyond. And so uh, Brett, bless you, brother. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you. Uh, for the ministry you've given Brett. I thank you, Lord, uh, for this vision you placed on his heart and the heart of others uh, to see a network of neighborhood churches planted throughout the city and beyond to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would bless this vision, that we would see it come to fruition. And we ask that as Brett proclaims your word this morning, that you'd fill him with your spirit, that we might be edified and that you might be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jake. Morning. Morning. It is an absolute joy to be able to uh, be with you and open the scriptures together. Thankful for Jake's trust that uh, once every three or four years I get to come and open the scriptures with you. Uh, it is a joy um, to, to be able to be here. And um, all the things that Jake said uh, about me are true. And that was supposed to be a joke. You didn't get that. He was giving me very high praise as a person. And, uh, and, 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 and all, of, all of that um, is very kind of him and some of that is undeserved. Um, I've learned just as much from him as he's ever learned from me, and so it's a joy to be able to partner together and do this work um, in, you know, just being the church in Vancouver, and we're in different neighborhoods, and, uh, and I do pastor the church in South Vancouver, and, and Jake, um, we were talking about this a while ago. We said we need to talk about the bigger vision of Christ City in terms of what that looks like planting a network of neighborhood churches because you're in your neighborhood and I'm in my neighborhood and, and the Kitsilano church is in their neighborhood and, and Lord willing next year, 2023, we're going to see Surrey established and, and, and Christ City Surrey going to be there and that's exciting and sometimes we, we forget that we're all part of something bigger. So I said, man, you should talk about this. I said to Brant, who's the pastor in, in Kitsilano, I said to Jake, well, you should talk about this and both of them looked at me and said, no, you should come and talk about it. So I'm here. That's what we're going to do today. So I want to talk about the vision of Christ City, but I don't really want to talk about that until I, I talk about the mission that we're called to. We're, we're, we're called to something that Jesus has commissioned us to be a part of. And I don't really want to talk about that until I talk about who we are as his people. So we're going to talk about who we are as his people and then the big mission that he's given us and then the specific vision of Christ City. Um, so we're going to talk about it like this with, with three different points by way of outline. We're going to talk about salt and light people who are called on a sent and sending mission. And then we're going to talk about the Christ City vision. So salt and light people 
with a sentence sending mission and then the Christ city vision. So again, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. You just heard that read. Um, it comes from the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And I just love to take a few minutes and talk about Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we call it uh, a part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is when Jesus gathered his disciples together and they sat down and he sat down and he just began to instruct them. And then there were uh, lots of people who were surrounding that instruction that he was giving to his disciples and they listened to him explain the way of his kingdom and so we'll look at this Matthew chapter 5 just verses 13 to 16 one more time just indulge me in the reading of the scriptures it says you are you are the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet and then verse 14 says you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Look, look at verse 13. I want you to notice something. It says, you are the salt of the earth. This is one of those things that, that preachers like Jake and I like to be able to focus in on just a couple of words in a whole passage, right? You kind of nerd out on, on the, occasionally nerd out on a couple of words. I just want you to see and notice something that I think is very profound. It says, you are the salt of the earth. You are. Don't miss this because Jesus tells us who we are before he tells us what we're called to do. He tells us who we are before we begin serving him and, and, and what we're called to do. He says, you are the salt of the earth, not you ought to be. Do you notice that? That's really important. You are, not you ought to be. And in some religious worldviews, you need to become what you should be before you can be accepted. You need to become what you should be before you can be accepted. Christianity is completely different. In Christianity, you are accepted not on the basis of your perfect performance, but on the basis of Jesus' perfect performance for you. So in Christianity, you are then just becoming who you already are. Jesus tells us who we are before he tells us what to do. In Christianity, you become what you already are because you are accepted rather than in these other uh, religious worldviews. And may, many of you may have come from that background or maybe you are part of something else and certainly the neighborhood around us, the city around us, lots of different religious worldviews. In those, you need to become what you should be so that you can be accepted. And that's different. You need to earn a right standing in the eyes of God so that you can then receive your identity as an enlightened person or whatever the case might be. But in Christianity, you receive your identity first on you know, no merit of your own without earning. You receive that by grace through faith in Christ. So you receive your identity, you're told who you are, and then you live into it. And that's unique about Christianity. See, we don't stand before God, a holy God. We don't stand before a holy God because of how well we have performed. We're going to stand before him by grace through faith because of how Jesus performed for us. And it's just important that we notice this because he tells us who we are before he tells us what to do. So, so again, who, who does he say you are as followers of Jesus? Look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, I can guarantee you something about your house and tell you this, about your kitchen you have salt. You have salt in your home. It is an absolute necessity to have salt in your home. You have salt there 
for different reasons, perhaps, than people in the ancient Near East that Jesus is talking to in the Sermon on the Mount had salt in their home. We like to just sprinkle it on top of a nice juicy steak. Perhaps, perhaps that's what you would enjoy. It's what I enjoy. You crack that on there. You know, actually, without salt, you die. That's not what my sermon's about. But you need to have a certain amount of salt in your life. It's essential. If you have too much, that'll make you sick. But, but without any, your, your system doesn't function properly. Salt's a household necessity. It's primarily, in you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount. In the ancient Near East, primarily it was used to, to preserve food. Sure, it would have been used for seasoning as well, but primarily to preserve food because they couldn't plug in their you know, deep freeze and make sure that the meat lasted a long time in there. They, they were preserving things with it so that it didn't rot. Salt was very important to every single household. Now, when I read this text, I'm a little bit confused, if I'm going to be honest with you, because I've never known salt to lose its saltiness. I've never known that to happen. Like salt is salt, right? Like the salt that I have in the back of our baking cupboard it's like the salt that we don't put out for people. It's like the salt that you use, the cheap salt that you put in your cookies or whatever. And you know, because we live in a humid climate, you've got that cardboard box of salt and that thing gets hard. You know, and then you pull out that little metal tab and you cut your finger on it every time because it's stuck in there. And then you have to bang the side of the thing to shake up the salt. I'll tell you, it doesn't matter how long I've been in there. I've never personally in my life known salt to lose its saltiness. It's like saying water's lost its wetness. It just doesn't make sense. That doesn't compute. But to people who Jesus is first preaching this to, they would have understood that salt could lose its saltiness. And here's why. The salt they used is different than the salt you have in your cupboard. The salt you have is is remarkably chemically stable. The stuff that they had wasn't. What they were doing is they they were gathering that. It was like a white powder near the Dead Sea. And what they would do is they would gather it together and they would have scooped it up. I don't know if they had a shovel or a scoop, but just imagine with me. They're scooping it up and they have like a bag full of this salt material but it's not pure. We have different refinement systems today than they had 2,000 years ago. And so this salt is mixed with all kinds of other minerals. And what could happen to their salt? And this would have been an experience that they would have had. Your salt, which is not pure, it's a white powder, it looks like salt, used as salt, it could lose its saltiness because the salt could get rinsed through it. And what you would be left with is something that looked like salt that was totally useless to you. The only thing it was good for was to be tossed on the ground and trampled under people's feet. Jesus is speaking to the heart of their situation. Something going on. There's a point that he's making. He is saying, you are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. If you're washed out, as salt could get washed out of that mineral substance, it would lose its distinctiveness. If you're washed out and lose your distinctiveness, Jesus is saying you cannot do what you are called to do because who you're called to be as it relates to the world around you is the salt of the earth. What he's saying is, is that we can't bring our contribution to the world if we lose our distinctiveness as Jesus' people. We're no good to anybody if we lose our distinctiveness because we are the salt of the earth. We don't serve the world by becoming like the world. We serve the world by offering a countercultural, Christ-like community. You are the salt of the earth. Now look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Again, you are. 
Jesus tells us who we are before he commissions us on what we're called to do. Tells us who we are before he tells us what to do. And who are we? Well, it says we're the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Nobody lights a lamp and then covers it up. And now I know you go, I have a lamp shade on my lamp. That's right, you do. Because you, to turn on your lamp in your house, just flip a switch. Turn a dial. But in their day, when there's no electricity and you're in a dark house, you would not light a lamp and then cover its light. You would light a lamp and lift it up high so that everybody in the room could see. And this is what he's telling us we're called to do based upon who we are. Light illuminates the way. Light exposes darkness for what it is. Light was an absolute necessity, just like salt for every household. We can't be the light of the world and shine the light of Christ if we are hidden away and withdrawn from the world. We don't serve the world by leaving the world in darkness and turning down the brilliance of our light just to fit in. We're no good to anyone if we go incognito with the light that we have, and I would say indeed the light that we are. Now we've got to draw together these two metaphors, the salt and the light. Bring them together. What is Jesus getting at? The countercultural community of Jesus' people are the salt of the earth and are the light of the world. And as the salt of the earth, we need to maintain a Christ-like distinctiveness. And as the light of the world, we need to engage in a Christ-like mission, shining light. See, Jesus said, I am the light. And we are lesser lights that reflect his great light. This is our way of being. This is the way that we engage with culture as salt and light. We, we see both of these impulses of maintaining our distinctiveness and shining light in the mission that we have. We see both of these impulses in a prayer that Jesus prayed that we have recorded for us in John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying and he asks our heavenly father to do magnificent things through his disciples and through us. John 17 verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. This is Jesus praying. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus says we are not to be of the world, just as he is not of the world. But he wants us in the world in the same way that he is in the world. What does that mean? I think he's saying he wants us to be a countercultural people, not a conformed people. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Not only are we the salt of the earth, trying to maintain our Christ-like distinctiveness, but we are understanding ourselves as the light of the world and trying to shine light in that way that we engage in that Christ-like mission. And I think it's right that we're called to be in the world, not of the world. I just want to press it and take it one step further and show you the full essence of what I believe he's getting at. In John chapter 20, after Jesus had died and then was risen, he shows up to his disciples in a locked room and he's commissioning them. He says in verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So I want you to see that the Father sent Jesus. That's actually what the season of Advent and Christmas is about. Jesus did not come or was not sent to blend in, compromise, and lose his distinctiveness. He actually was set apart 
and holy and tempted as we are, he was without sin. He's distinct. But the Father sent Jesus into the world also to shine light, which is revealing and illuminating, that we would know how loved we are and how we might be saved. This is the purpose for which the Father sent the Son. So we are to be in the world, not of the world, but I would say I want to push it a little bit further and to realize that we are not of the world, but actually sent into the world. There's an intentionality with the way that we as followers of Jesus live our lives as sent ones. It means that we are called to be that countercultural, Christ-like community of followers of Jesus. And, and, the, and the dual images of salt and light, they reveal two aspects of our witness in the city. Two aspects of our witness that are not easy to balance. To balance a distinctiveness, yet an engagement, is very difficult. But that's the call for us, is to walk that line. To be salt does not mean that we are legalistic and separated means we're loving and distinct, we're set apart, we're holy. To be light means we don't hide away in fear. It means that we bring that distinctiveness into public and we let the light of Christ shine. And Jesus is a perfect example of both of these things. We're called to be salt and light people. That's the first thing I wanted us to see. Who are we as people, as followers of Jesus? We are salt and light people. Secondly, I want us to talk about the sent and sending mission. And, and this is what we need to engage with when we talk about what it looks like for salt and light people to live that out. When we live that out as salt and light people, it means we follow Jesus on his sent and sending mission. The Father sent the Son and the Son now sends us. Yes. But here's what it looks like as a church. I want to show you out of Acts chapter 13. There's an example of what it looks like when a church lives into this identity. Acts 13 verse 1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We're talking about a church in a city called Antioch. Antioch was north of Jerusalem, about 500 miles north of Jerusalem. And it was a very multicultural city. Antioch was where a number of followers of Jesus from Jerusalem fled when the first persecution started to rise up in the very early church. They went to Antioch. They went north. You're on the map. They went north. Antioch was um, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was very, very influential, arguably the second or third most uh, influential city in the Roman Empire. It was very, very multicultural, had people from all over the world who had come there and had not just come there to trade, but actually who had stayed there and made that home. And you can see some of that multiculturalism even in the passage that I read. People from all over the place. Antioch was the place in, in first, uh, it's, it's in Acts chapter 11. It's the first place that followers of Jesus were called Christians. They were little Christs. It actually wasn't a kind thing that they meant when they called them that. But as Christians, we love to take on that thing, that, that reproach and that public shaming. And we go, yeah, we'll own that. We'll be called Christians because you, you meant it as a reproach, but we actually think that's a beautiful thing to be called little Christ. We're followers of Jesus. We want to be like him. So Antioch is this crazy city, but it's all in on mission. And this is what we see. They're fasting and they're praying. And then they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas in obedience to the Holy Spirit. 
and they send Paul and Barnabas off to go preach the gospel where the gospel had not yet been preached. Antioch is the sending point for this missionary journey where they begin in the power of the Holy Spirit with the support of a sending church. And when we read about this in Acts chapter 13 and 14, you can read about Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey, where they went, what they did. You read about it, they went from city to city preaching the gospel. They evangelized in these cities. They made disciples in these cities. Paul had his assassination plotted in one of these cities. He was stoned and left for dead in one of these cities. And then in a bit of a counterintuitive move, at least counterintuitive to me, then they went back and revisited all of those cities where they got stoned and tried to kill. They went back and visited them. They made sure that the churches were doing well. They shared the gospel again. They appointed elders in those churches and they established those churches as missionary outposts in that part of the world. And then what did they do? Sounds like a pretty good adventure. They go back to Antioch. They go back to their sending church. And I just want you to notice this. When when the church in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas off on this journey to preach the gospel where there had not been any gospel preaching done yet and to go and establish a church where they needed to establish churches, I just want you to notice who was involved. Just track with this. Look at verse 2 with me. Acts 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, who was involved? Well, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, this is what I'm wanting you to do with these two. And then who was involved? Is the whole church. Two were sent and the rest did the sending, but everybody was involved in this work. And then when they came home, so they go off on this great adventure, see all these crazy things that God does in and through their ministry, and then they come home. What do they do? They want to share the testimony with the church that sent them. They gather the church together to talk about God's faithfulness. They they gather the church together to celebrate how many turned to the Lord in faith. Look at Acts 14, verse 27. It says, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. It was the whole sending church they're celebrating with. Okay, that's actually what drives our ministry at Christ City. That's what drives us. This is what, over the last nine years, we've been working toward. Some are sent and some do the sending, but everybody's involved in the missional work of establishing new gospel preaching churches. And I need you to see this too. Paul and Barnabas, they were not radical loners. They didn't just venture off into the great unknown on some sort of, you know, great journey that they thought, well, I'm going to be able to write such a huge book deal. I'm going to get a big book deal for this. No, that's not what they were doing. They weren't loners like that. They were sent missionary church planters who had the backing of a church at home. They had been sent by those who did the sending. But it was all done in a partnership in the gospel so that the fame of deeds, fame and deeds of God could be made known in their day. And so when we plant churches, we're doing it to the same end that the fame and deeds of God would be made known in our day. So what compels those who are sent and those who do the sending? What what, what compels them? Because this sounds risky. This sounds costly. What drives a church to send two of its best and brightest leaders to go preach the gospel of Christ into a hostile world? (laughs) What compels them? 
What motivates Paul and Barnabas to venture off into places where it's hostile to them and they're, they're getting their lives threatened? What, what is that? What keeps a person motivated when your enemies are plotting your assassination and stoning you and leaving you for dead? And I would just say, why would generation after generation of Christian missionaries do this for the last 2,000 years? Why would we keep trying to plant new churches? Why? It's Jesus. The, that's the motivation. It's Jesus. It's the way of Jesus. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I now send you. This is the way of Christ. These are people who have had real encounters with the real crucified and risen Jesus. And they've been compelled by God's love to then preach the good news of the gospel anywhere and everywhere that the Holy Spirit might send them. See, when you come to Jesus, I know some of you might not be followers of Jesus and and you're confused about this. You know, why, why does everybody who's a Christian want everybody else to meet Jesus? I'll tell you. When you come to Jesus, he changes you. You become his. Something happens. He makes you his own and you take on his burden for the lost. This is what happens when we become followers of Jesus. We take on his burden for the lost. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, look at what it says. He had compassion for them. Compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, it's the compassion of Jesus for the lost, that drives the mission of God. It's his compassion. See, sometimes I know as followers of Jesus, we, we get together in our groups, community groups, Bible studies, gatherings like this. And you know, sometimes we can, we can go, you know what? Man, I look out this window and I see this city. This city's just, city's going the wrong direction. Or you wake up in the morning like me, and because you're you know, sinful, you read the news before you read the Bible. You don't do confessions here like this? Okay, that's fine. So I, I, this is what happens if I open up my news app before I open up my Bible. Here's what ends up happening. I read it and I'm like, what the heck? They did what in Ottawa? I'm from Alberta, so I'm like, they did what in Alberta? <laughs> and I start, and, I, and I, they did what over there in that part of the world? And I'm saying, people are crazy. And here's the thing. Lost people act like lost people. I don't know if you know that, but the people who don't follow Jesus act like people who don't follow Jesus. That's entirely true to type. It's, entri it's entirely normal. Like before I was a follower of Jesus, see, if you met 19-year-old Brett, you wouldn't let him anywhere within, I don't know, a kilometer of this pulpit. 19-year-old Brett was a mess. I mean, 41-year-old Brett's coming closer. 19-year-old <laughs> Brett did not know Jesus, had never heard the gospel, and acted like it. That's what people who don't know Jesus do. Our job is not to sit back in judgment and go, oh my gosh, there's people who don't know Jesus act like they don't know Jesus. Like, right. That's like, this is like basic common sense stuff. Actually, what we do is we, we need to be like Jesus, who looks over the lostness of the city 
and feels compassion for them because they don't know. You might have been a person like me who came to Christ as an adult or maybe a little bit later on in life and you remember what it's like to live apart from Jesus. Maybe you're like my wife and you grew up in the church and you've just always known. Either way, when we look at the city and the destruction that it's heading toward and we look at our friends and our family and our loved ones who are actively rejecting Jesus, our response is not anger, frustration. Our response is called to be compassion like Jesus. That's the mission of every follower of Jesus. Look in verse 36, Matthew chapter 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, they just didn't have a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers, send out laborers into his harvest. And this isn't what my sermon's about, but I'm pretty sure Jake wants to talk about prayer at some point because he keeps talking about prayer a lot. The mission of Jesus here starts in prayer. And the mission of Jesus' church in Acts 13, that starts in prayer. It's fasting in prayer. It's getting our hearts aligned with God in prayer that then helps us to walk out the things we're called to do. We're called to be salt and light people. We have a sent and sending mission. And third, I just want to talk about the Christ City vision and I want you to see that this mission that is globally shared in every place and every time in history, I want to show you the way that we try to embody that contextually in the unique time and place that God has called us. So here's how we live that out. The vision of Christ City Church is to establish a network of neighborhood churches that are large enough to meet the demands of city ministry and small enough to maintain community. I'll read it again. To establish a network of neighborhood churches that are large enough to meet the demands of city ministry and small enough to maintain community. On On a baseline level, we just think more people need to meet Jesus. Millions of people in Metro Vancouver are facing an eternity separated from God. And because we have been sent as Jesus was sent and we've taken on his compassion for the lost, that motivates us to action. Because we want to see more people get to know him and be saved. So why a network of neighborhood churches? Why not something different? Just start more churches, fine. We'll talk about that too. Why a network of neighborhood churches? I'm going to show you two pictures and then I'm done. The first is a picture of some hydrangea flowers. Now, I'm not a botanist, a biologist, and I've never pretended to be. I can't successfully seem to grow anything, apart from I planted rosemary once and it just took over. I was like, man, look at me, I'm a gardener. I'm also a chef now because I got my own rosemary. (laughs) I'm not, not successful at growing anything else. These hydrangea flowers... Very interesting. And again, I'm not an expert, but I've read the experts. These have the same seed, but they produce different color flowers for a very unique reason. You could have three pots of soil with a different pH level in it, a different acidity to the soil, and you plant the same seed in each one, it'll give you three different color flowers, not based on the seed, but based on the soil that it's planted in. They've got the same, and again, not an expert, they've got the same DNA, so to speak, the seed. They're the same seed, they're all hydrangeas, but when they grow, 
they look different based upon the soil they're planted in. And here's the thing, when you plant a hydrangea, you don't expect it to grow up thistles. When you plant that seed, you expect it to be a hydrangea plant. You expect it to flower. You don't know what color yet, but it's going to flower. You wouldn't expect that you could plant a hydrangea seed and all of a sudden you're going to get roses. Like, that's just not how it works. You plant the seed and it comes up and the expression of that seed when it's grown and when it blooms, the color of that flower is based upon the soil that it's planted in. I think the church of Jesus Christ is like this. Now, I've, I've been very privileged to worship with churches all over the world. And it's an interesting thing to observe and it's an interesting thing to participate in. When you're in a suburban American region and you're in a room that's like seats like 5,000 people, right? And they've blacked out all the windows because they want to control the atmosphere. You know, you know what I'm saying? And you got flashing lights and bright lights and different color lights and lots of smoke. And you're like, this is a bit odd. Well, it's just kind of the soil they're planted in. Has a different look to it. Has a very different look and feel to the church that I gathered with when I was in Northern Africa, where they had a compound and a big building on it, and they had to drive me in under cover of night to the underground part of it, and they said, you don't go anywhere, we'll get your bags, you go straight inside. And I remained inside that building for five days um, because my job was not to walk around in the neighborhood and enjoy it, my job was to teach the Bible. And just so you know, if some white guy from Canada shows up in that part of the world and starts teaching the Bible, it raises red flags. Much to my wife's, you know, dismay, uh, you know, it's not a safe place to be. It wasn't unsafe for me. My presence made it unsafe for them. And so we worshiped the Lord together quietly. Or the church that I'd gathered with when I was uh, in another restricted access country where they pulled me up to the back door of the apartment building and we went into a side elevator and that elevator took us way up in the tower and we very quietly went into an apartment that they had turned into their worship center. And then we very quietly worshiped the Lord as to not alert the neighbors to what we're doing. When I was in a village in northern Vietnam, the church there looked different than the suburban megachurch I'm talking about. Different soil, same seed of the gospel. The church expression is different because of where it's planted. Now, in a small way, Vancouver's like that. City of Vancouver's 23 neighborhoods plus UBC. This is my third week in a row preaching this sermon, which is fun for me. I preached it in Christ City, South Vancouver, which is different than here. And last week I preached at Christ City Kits which is different than here. And we all believe the same thing, and we're all pretty much the same in, in lots of ways, but it's different. Your church looks different than the church I'm a part of because of the neighborhood, the demographic, and the different aspects of what we're doing there. We know this to be true. Metro Vancouver has 21 different municipalities and one First Nation. And when the seed of the gospel is planted in those different contexts, it may have a different color flower, but it's always going to be the same tree. This is the gospel. The response to it is these churches, they're going to worship, they're going to celebrate communion, they're going to baptize new believers, they're going to enjoy the experience of Christian community. 
They're going to display the fruit of the Spirit. They're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. They're going to have a familial love and devotion with one another. They're going to repent from sin. They're going to teach the Bible. They're going to do all the other things that make a church a church. But the church in rural Vietnam is going to look different than here for a lot of factors. But it's still a church. Ephesians chapter 4 says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's all the same, but the expression of it is different. Can I, can I ask you, how many churches are in Vancouver? Do you know how many there are in Vancouver? One. There's one true church in the city of Vancouver. Different expressions in different neighborhoods. Different historic ethnic backgrounds, different cultures. One church. Some are blue, some are pink, some are white. But they're all hydrangeas. It's all Jesus' church. If that's true, same gospel planted in different soils gives you a different color flower. It's always the church of Jesus that rises up. If that's true, why a network of neighborhood churches? Why not just plant a bunch of independent churches? Hey, we're on, we're on that page. We'd be very happy to do that. Here's the problem. Every time we've talked about planting a church with someone and then they've come and hung out with us for a while, they fall in love with Jake and they go, I just want to be on his team. No, it's a true story though. We've, we've, we've talked about doing this different ways and so far we haven't. We're not, we're not opposed to it. We will plant independent churches. We're very excited about the idea that we could do that. It's just that all the church planters we've worked with have eventually said, I want to plant a Christ City church. So we actually do help other churches plant independent churches. We're involved in that work. Jake's involved in that. I'm involved in that. Some of our other team get involved in those kind of things. But why then a network of churches? Why not just a bunch of independent ones? Well, one more picture. This is an aspen grove. Now, by uh, sheer size and mass, this is the, largest world, uh, the world's largest living organism. It's an aspen grove in Utah with 47,000 different trees, or 47,000 trees, but they're all connected with one root system. And when they run the kinds of tests that biologists like to run, and again, I'm not a biologist and I'm not pretending to be one, but when they run these kind of tests, what they say is, all of those trees have sprung up from one parent tree. Again, if I could say it this way, they have identical DNA. They're one tree. It's one organism. They have an identical genetic makeup. They're all interconnected. And, and what that means is when one area of this 106-acre aspen grove ends up in drought, it can pull resources from the area that's not suffering the same level of drought. When there's a wildfire that rips through one aspect of it, it can regenerate faster because it pulls resources from the rest of the single living organism. The aspen grove is nicknamed pando, which is Latin for I spread. That's our hope for Christ City. We're a network of neighborhood churches who share a common foundation and a bunch of citywide resources that allow us to have the strength of something much larger, a larger group. But it also allows us to properly contextualize the gospel in the neighborhoods that we're planting in. The root system is implied in the nature of the network and it allows for unity with diversity. We're called to be salt and light people. We have a sent and sending mission. 
Some are sent and some do the sending, but everybody's involved in planting new churches. Our identity is as the sent people of God. And we're compelled by the compassion of Jesus. We're called to be distinct and yet shine light that all flows out of the compassion of our Savior, Jesus Christ. His compassion for the love motivates our compassion. His compassion for the lost motivates our compassion for the lost. And we have an intentional kingdom mindset. This is what we try and do as a church. Can you, could you imagine, just think about this. I know you love Daniel and Stephanie. Can you imagine a world and, 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 and the void that would be created in, in Christian history if that church in Antioch said they didn't want Paul and Barnabas to go? It's costly. I mean, at some point, that church in Antioch sent Paul out and he didn't come back. It's costly. But can you imagine what would have happened if, if they had like a, had like a board meeting? Because churches have board meetings. And at the board meeting, one of the board members says something like this. Just says, um, Paul's my favorite preacher. So we can't send Paul out. We got to keep Paul here. And Barnabas is actually the most effective administrative leader, sharing the gospel, teaching, and preaching. It's just awesome. We can't let them leave. And then some other board member goes, well, what do you propose? You can't just bring a problem without bringing a solution, right? I've been on boards. Let's give him a compensation package that he just can't say no to. Let's make him the proverbial offer he can't refuse. Let's keep Paul here. I mean, he's been out building tents all day. Do you know that? He's been building tents all day making his income, and then he comes in here and preaches the Bible all night. The guy's burning out. Let's give him a job. Let's keep him here. Let's not let him go. And then they all go, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, first of all, Paul wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say yes to that because he is obedient to the Holy Spirit. We see that in the Bible. But imagine he did. You would have to rewrite the second half of the book of Acts. This starts out, hey, the Holy Spirit told us to send Paul, but we decided not to. So we had a really rich church experience. The end. <laughs> like, that's not how Acts works. The kingdom mindset says we, we send the best to go and reach those who have not yet experienced the love of Christ. William Temple said the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not yet its members. That's who we are. So three things. One, I want you to know that Christ City South Vancouver and Christ City Kitsilano are praying with you as you send the Golans to plant a church next year in Surrey. We're praying with you. Let's keep praying. Secondly, as Jake has already said, some of you might feel called to go. Get into a conversation with your pastors and elders about that. What does it look like for you to be sent along with them? And third, as Jake already said as well in the announcements, would you join us in giving to this? Christ City South Van and East Van and a bunch of other churches are partnering together to make sure that Christ City Surrey has what it needs to get set up and started and get into a place out there and begin preaching the gospel, building community and loving their neighbors. So would you partner with us as we do that? Some are sent and some are sending, but everybody's involved in the work of planting churches. Amen? Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at Jake 
at christchurch.ca.